for forget Luton and Minchie Mania like it's Robin season in Jacksonville. Twitter is your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. We got some injuries and we've got some surprises. That so hey, we got Connor here and we got Ronan. Hello. And Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, guys? Any crack with yourselves? Uh, not much now. A bit all quiet down here in Cork. It was my mother's birthday at the weekend, so I was in the WhatsApp call, so I got to watch my family eat cake. <laughs> That sounds like a great way to spend it. Did you not get some cake for yourself, Sean? No, I should have, should have preemptively bought some cake or, or, or made my fiancé bake some cake. Or <laughs> bake some cake yourself, time. Sean. <laughs> you just buy a cake. No, you don't do shopping either. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> no, yeah, we established that in the previous episode, didn't we? I do occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing too much down this way. Just been tipping along. I think me and you, Connor, we're going to have a big competition uh, this weekend uh, the old gap but uh, other than that yeah Donny old Cavan excitement I've uh, watched I think two games this year like to be honest the Ulster Championship is usually a dirty old championship anyway and now it's in November through the shit and rain so I imagine <laughs> it'll be about as uh, entertaining to watch as uh, the old paint and the wall drying oh yeah but sure look there's not much else for us to be watching these days there's not much <laughs> else true. for us to be up to but yeah, no, it should be a it should be an exciting one. You were saying that Donegal are prohibitive favourites with the uh, desert people, as we'll say. Yeah, very much so. I think it's over one to ten type odds. Okay, Jesus, yeah. right, fair enough. So quite one sided then. Maybe that's just how they're they're lulling us into a false sense of security. Or Cavan are just lucky because they had to come back from ten points twice, which is <laughs> a is a fair amount for those who don't. That follow. shows grit. That shows grit, man. Yeah, but Donegal are you know good at football. Oh, we'll see. Yeah, not too much here. We're obviously still in lockdown mode and trying to arrange some of the Christmas presents in advance and all that kind of stuff. And it was very disappointed. I had, I, for some reason, I thought that the uh, the Chiefs game this week, so I knew it was kind of prime time. I thought it was Thursday night football, so I was getting really excited for that because I had Friday off work. <laughs> but on the plus side, it is a pretty good uh, Thursday night game that we're getting this, uh, this week anyway. Yeah, no, apart from that, nothing too too wild or crazy. Uh, settled into the new house and everything, so uh, going well. I suppose we'll swing in and we'll get started on the news. So obviously COVID again, positive cases in Baltimore, Miami, Cleveland, Minnesota, Buffalo and the Giants. There's some coach... Uh, slash staff cases in Philadelphia and Cincinnati, and there are close contacts in Kansas City. The chief medical officer of the NFL, Alan Still, says three players turned positive after their initial negative test during a five-day protocol, so there may be reviews to how those protocols are run and how long people have to stay in isolation from it. The big one that I've picked up on this is that the close contacts in Kansas City, so I've been <laughs> paying more attention to those ones than the other ones, uh, it's both starting tackles, which is not great given they were getting mauled the last time they played the Raiders. Yeah, the understanding is that because this is early on in the week, the, the Kansas City cases, they'll probably be available if they don't actually turn out to be positive. Um, yeah. So there's the five-day turnaround. So, you know, if you if it was Thursday Night Football, you would be in trouble. But thankfully yes, you're it on. would. It's Sunday Night slight. Football, so uh, it all works out in the end. And yeah, look, like, kind of just cover this every week to make sure that everyone knows that, yes, the COVID situation is actually getting completely out of control on the other side of the, the pond. And it's unsurprising that a lot of players are, t- are turning out positive. But I just was interesting to note that this thing that even if you get an initial negative test during a five-day protocol, like when you're a close contact, some of these people are turning up positive later. So just an indication that, you know, the, the way that this virus works 
um, and this is useful to know in general as well as in terms of this podcast is that you know a negative test isn't necessarily a guarantee that you don't have it and that's why it's so important to uh, stick to these protocols and have this system in place to ensure that these situations don't turn into outbreaks yeah it's it's quite impressive that given the the level of outbreak that America's going through that they there are so few cases and we haven't had a a Titans level team outbreak um, since then. As I seem to say every week, uh, another Slater game is completed is, is a successful one. Seems like the protocols are working, and I, I didn't think that they would, but they do seem to have really clamped down on these kind of super spreader things. Yeah, I hope things uh, stay that way for, for a bit longer. In the college game, like that isn't true, so you can see <laughs> the difference in, in, in like the professional way the NFL is taking care of things mostly. On to some other non-COVID-related injuries. We have New Orleans quarterback Drew Brees has fractured his ribs. He's going to be out for between two and six weeks. The LA Rams lost offensive tackle Andrew Whitworth toward MCL, so he's gone for the rest of the season. And Baltimore Ravens have gotten a bit knocked up. Nick Boyle, their tight end, has injured his knee and he's gone for the season. And their defensive tackle, Brandon Williams, he's injured his ankle and he'll be gone for one to four weeks. So obviously, look, these are kind of... Big injuries to playoff contenders here. New Orleans didn't quite look the same once Breeze came out. Jameis Winston seems more functional as a hype man behind a successful team. <laughs> Last week's didn't go by versus how he played this week. But it's only two to six weeks, so they would have him back for the postseason, presuming that they get there. The Rams, this is, you know, Whitworth's an excellent tackle. That's going to be a huge loss for them, particularly how much production they've been getting out of the run game. On Baltimore, Nick Boyle is their main blocking tight end. Like, it's going to have an impact on them, and they're already flailing a little bit versus last year. So these are three sizable injuries. Bizarrely, I think Drew Brees going out is the most manageable of them because they've done this in previous seasons. Teddy Bridgewater, who, who we'll talk about in a moment, maybe he's actually a good quarterback and James Winston is not good at quarterbacking. Like, I think it'll be really interesting to see how James Winston fits within that New Orleans offense, which is very obviously timing-based, very precision-based, something which he isn't necessarily the most excellent at. Um, <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see whether they just kind of roll him out there with that offense, kind of more like dump-offs to... Avin Kamara, something which he's notoriously not great at dump-offs, uh, or just targeting Michael Thomas, or whether they choose to open up the playbook and have a few more shots downfield, some Arian-type plays from his time there. I think the Saints are a good enough team that they can survive this. It's just a matter of whether they can survive, like, you know, go evens or so, or whether they can thrive like they did under Teddy last year when they went undefeated uh, when Drew Brees is out. And of course, you can expect that there'll be a bit more Taysom Hill mixed in, depending on how much Jameis struggles or not in the games going forward. There's some controversy out there right now because obviously Taysom Hill, he's quite well paid and they're kind of people are asking, well, why aren't you going to play him as the quarterback if you're paying him so much? But I think there's good reasons why that isn't. If it's a 50-50 timeshare, that would be an interesting experiment. But I expect Jameis will probably get most of the snaps. But they are being coy right now in New Orleans about what's actually going to happen. Obviously, the number one seed in the NFC now seems to be up for grabs because as kind of up and down as the Saints have been playing, they have been winning games and they have been comfortable, but they don't actually have a much of a lead either on top of their division, strangely enough, or in the NFC overall. And you'd expect them, if they, if we're looking at the six weeks end rather than the two weeks end, you're going to expect them to drop maybe two or three games in that time, which would knock them down, possibly down to the, the, the five seed or something. So it is kind of big, could have a big impact on the NFC itself and could make those playoffs, which I talked about last week, the NFC playoffs could be a bit of a, a crapshoot because of how close all the teams are together. It could make it even more chaotic by having a potential, the team who should be the number one seed, say, being the, the number five or the number six. 
So other injuries, Carolina quarterback Teddy Bridgewater, MCL sprain. Teddy said he might be day-to-day. Drew Locke is day-to-day with a muscle strain. And Chicago Nick Foles is week-to-week with a leg injury. So a couple of quarterbacks on contenders for wild cards, I'd kind of say. None of these are kind of standout players for them either, although Teddy's been playing pretty decently for Carolina. So this is a knock on them, but like none of this seems to be anything too long-term. So it's like it might be the kick up the arse that Chicago needs to figure out like maybe their third stringer is a better option. I, I mean, I don't know what the situation with Trubisky is. And, or is he still injured, is he? Trubisky um, is currently point. injured, yeah, to some extent. Yeah, so whoever the, the third choice is. As we've been talking about, the Bears' defense is... is good enough to carry this team if the offense can just have a consistent output of productivity and points. And maybe, yeah, maybe even just get a very average QB that just throw average passes, do not do anything too creative, let Allen Robinson do some fancy things. Um, they might realize that Nick Foles, the variance of Nick Foles isn't actually worth it, especially since the Bears are now down from their very quick start, down to 5-5. Five and five. Their season is beginning to ebb away from them a little bit. It could be interesting to see if this changes things um, for the Bears. Uh, for Denver, who knows if, if this could be the excuse to, to, to push Drew Locke aside for a little while, see what else they have, because he hasn't really been working out for them. And the, the kind of the criticisms on social media seem to be rising against Locke from, from day to day. Um, and similarly with Teddy Bridgewater, who, I mean, I don't know what who Carolina have behind him, but he's he's had an okay, I mean, he's had a very Teddy Bridgewater season so far, uh, kind of a, a a decent if completely risk averse productivity and maybe so maybe it is a situation for all these three teams to look at who else they have there's no basically i think what we can take away there's no guarantee that these three quarterbacks are, are locks to take their their starting positions back once they come back from injury all three might be up for for question depending on who comes in and performs to be honest like none of these teams have guys that would excite you and some of them already have had cameos this year and yeah so like in carolina it's probably the most intriguing. You have a uh, former XFL star, PJ Walker. Um, so there's a bit of hype around him because he did quite well. You know, the cameos that he's had this season haven't been great. Denver, Drew Locke was out for a portion of this season. Then you saw Jeff Driscoll and Brett Rapian, and neither of them really uh, left you wanting more. And yeah, obviously Mitch Trubisky, maybe if, if his health issues turn up, they might turn back to him. But I think behind them, it's Tyler Bray, uh, rather uninspiring uh, oh, choice. Oh God! Yeah. Um, so, like, look, like these are teams, obviously, where, as you say, they could definitely be looking for options at this point. So there's no harm in seeing what you have behind them. But uh, none of these teams have a young backup that would make you uh, jump out of your seat and, and want to watch these teams. It, I think these teams will be even less watchable than they are right now. And except for Carolina, that's not saying much. Yeah, we've also then got extensions for offensive tackle David Bartiari with Green Bay. He's got a four-year, $92 million with 63 guaranteed. And Graham Gano is locking up that kicker job in New York. Three years, $14 million. And uh, Miami have cut running back Jordan Howard, uh, given that they are rather shallow at that position. That says an awful lot about how they value him at the moment. Good signing for Green Bay. I suppose smart for the Giants because he's been working for them and sad to see Howard fall down that way. Chiari is obviously one of the better left tackles in the league. Deserves this. He's had some injury issues which perhaps make you a little bit concerned but overall based on the level of his play and based where they are as a team with Aaron Rodgers uh, looking like he's not going anywhere uh, in the near future based on his current play then it makes sense to invest in your veterans. Um, and Greg, you know, like, look, he got cut by Caroline last year because Joey Sly replaced him and was 
very good and, and cheaper. But like, look, like we know every year there's teams that are desperate to have anyway functional kicker. The fact that the Giants managed to get one on the cheap this year and now for a decent price going forward, who's capable of those long field goals as well as having good percentage on the the more makeable kicks. That's just a good deal overall. And yeah, Miami. They went like with a with a guy called Ahmed this week. They obviously have Gaskin who's doing doing work. So Jordan Howard's like two yard runs at the uh, <laughs> at the goal line uh, will be a thing of the past. Maybe he gets picked up somewhere. But to be honest, based on what I saw, I don't really see there's much juice left in those legs. No, nothing much there. And finally, on to uh, crime and punishment. What are they doing? Probably felonies. The woman suing wide receiver Antonio Brown in the ongoing civil cases filed a sworn affidavit that Brown raped her and is seeking punitive damages, according to the court records. This is also paired with a report that Antonio Brown was destroying security cameras in his gated community in October. So basically, Tampa Bay's response has been, well, he's, he's been well behaved since he got here, which is a massive fucking cop out. But <laughs> yeah, it seems Antonio Brown is still a piece of shit. And I still don't know why why the Bucks are bothering. Bucks are in a very tight spot here. I mean, they really put their kind of reputation on the line. I think a little bit taking him on board. And he's being integrated into the team a bit. I'll, I'll talk about that in the, in the game reviews. But Brown was used an awful lot in Sunday's game, in particular ways that Tom Brady likes to have wide receivers. So at this point, it actually will hurt the Bucks if they have to say Cotterham, which at some point you imagine they will have to. If mm. these allegations continue to be upheld and, and there are various ongoing problems, I think they will have to cut one at some point and the longer it goes, the, the, the more of a damage to the book's reputation this will be. It's just a distraction, I think, from a season that looks like it is potentially going to be quite a good one in terms of making the playoffs and going deep on a Super Bowl run to have this kind of distraction. I just don't really understand. Okay, he's a very talented wide receiver and he does offer options, but, but surely... Surely there, there, there's a trade-off here that is not being taken into account. I suppose like it is kind of a load-all-in type thing of like Brady's what one two years, Arians is one two years. Like I suppose they don't care that much, but yeah, I, I don't like the look of it. The rape accusation is a much more severe situation, but un, unfor- well, fortunately or unfortunately uh, for the books, um, I believe that that's not expected to you know have enough progress that the NFL can impose a, a punishment before the end of the season. So you know the usual sequence of events is that the NFL allows legal proceedings to fully work their way through before they will impose their own. Um, mm-hmm. uh, punishment so that that's why that's basically you know he's able to play right now basically and then the security camera thing like look apparently he lives in the gated community unsurprisingly he had a guest and because of the the protocols in the gated community he was asked to come down to the security desk to, to verify that this person was a legitimate guest and apparently uh, ab is under more tighter scrutiny due to perhaps bass behavior and apparently ab was very very unhappy that he had cycled all the way down um, to to let this person in and then you know he wasn't happy the first time and then had to come back later for basically the same issue and threw his bike at the security place uh, and yeah it's a bit of a, a classic ab overreaction situation and yeah like it doesn't especially speak to someone who has all of their uh you know issues in order if if there's you know severe pressure points uh, why does this get a community have so many goddamn gates <laughs> pretty much like you know he he just got into a big fight with the security guard about something that uh, apparently he, he you know i shouldn't have to come down here and let my friends in 
Um, perhaps he's been letting people in that shouldn't be letting in, and that's why he's under stricter scrutiny and, and possibly, um, possibly victimized apparently in his gated community. Oh, of course, of course. Um, I'm sure it's that chef that he refused to pay is sending him uh, fish heads again. <laughs> uh, all considering ch- how he treats movers, I'm not that surprised. Yeah, all charges against former New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker have been dropped. Now, if you remember, there was an alleged armed robbery case against him and one of the Seattle Seahawks cornerbacks, if I remember correctly. The news story now is that the attorney for the three or four alleged victims has been arrested on extortion charges and uh, they are going to drop all charges against DeAndre Baker on this basis. It's a hard one to unpick, to be honest. It sounds like, like even if there wasn't you know, armed robbery, there was definitely like hanging around with the wrong sort of people and getting involved in dodgy shit going on. But if this is the case, that means that we have a first round quarterback who maybe didn't play up to expectations with the Giants now completely free to go and find a new location. And I'm sure that there'll be plenty of teams who might kick the tires for cheap on a young player like that. Oh yeah, he'll get picked up. I'm almost certain of that, assuming he's in playing shape that he that he hasn't let himself completely go. This is one of those situations where we're probably will never know the full truth. Obviously, uh, Baker's attorney has come out and said like they're all liars and former felons. And and look, there's definitely a possibility that this whole thing was made up. But regardless of whether it was made up or not. Obviously, when the uh, the alleged victims are, are involved with their attorney in a known uh, extortion case where they directly asked for, for money from Baker, you know, their credibility is pretty much shot. And I think that the state would, would recognize that it's unlikely to win any case because of that, um, those extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this is a case where we probably never know exactly what went down here, but it was probably dodgy as fuck. And it's just a matter of whether... Uh, who, who, where the balance of dodginess ended up being in the, at the end of the day. But uh, for Baker, I expected he'll make it back, back into football unless uh, unless the NFL has some evidence that we don't know about or unless he, he's, he's out of shape. The NFL has also approved the you rule that teams that have minority head coaches or GMs will get two extra third round picks and three if they have both. This is obviously kind of an extension of the Rooney rule to try and encourage hiring of minority head coaches and GMs. Hopefully it'll have an impact on increasing those numbers. I'm unsure about using the draft picks as a mechanism for it, but as you pointed out, actually both of you guys did, it is one of the viable ways of kind of forcing the hand of giving something tangible to the to the teams for doing it, you know? It, I mean, it is. The, the, the NFL have very limited options in terms of the ways they can act, kind of actively incentivize teams. And we've seen the Rooney Rule, is, it, which is uh, all head coaching positions, you have to interview at least one a minority candidate. It has re- resulted not only in an uptick in the number of minority coaches being uh, hired, but also other sports have looked at this and have, have talked about bringing it in. I, I know from, from soccer that there's been discussions of bringing in Rooney Rule uh, in English football um, as well. So it's they, there's a good record of innovation in this regard from the NFL. So this seems to be the ne- next step up. And yet they don't have too many other options. But draft picks are worth something. And, and therefore, we'll see it changing the incentives um, in how teams approach it maybe not a tremendous amount given it's only third round picks but you see you will see i think some uptick in that regard obviously the rooney rule only affects the owners and to some extent the gm if they're involved in the in the hiring decision but like that's a that, that, that this is this is you know incentives that affect the entire football operation you know like if you're a bill belichick for example or something like that 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 would uh, make a difference there. I don't. I don't know why, but that's just immediately put in my face of Bill Belichick blacking up to try and get extra. 
you know, if if, if whatever whoever the de facto like the the de facto GM, I don't know. There's probably someone with a GM type role in the team. You'll probably invent one now. Oh, you're the GM, fellow uh, fellow minority <laughs> candidate. But uh, look, like I think it's 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 good and it's important because it affects. Uh, it means that this affects all levels of the team. Uh, all decision makers will want more picks if they can get them. I think, you know, it, it's just an important sing- signal because I get the Rooney Rule did lead to an uptick uh, around the time that was implemented, but the last five years or so, we've seen a very worrying, uh, if not reversal, certainly stalling of the number of minority candidates hired as head coaches in particular, where, you know, these guys are getting, you know, pushed over for the, the white offensive genius saviors that, that have kind of become the, the, the trend du jour over the last five years or so. So I think this is an important statement from the NFL to say that this is something they, they are going to do something about. And if this doesn't work, I imagine that they'll push it even further. But, you know, hopefully this kind of kind of push against some of the structural issues which have uh, prevented uh, the Rooney Rule from really having the full impact it should have. No, of course. And with that, we'll look at the games from last week. So first up, Buffalo at Arizona, 30-32, to 32, an absolute nail-brighter. DeAndre Hopkins catches the Hail Murray, as I think it's been called, to give Arizona the win in this back-and-forth kind of contest. Allen over 300 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions. And Murray, like, over 300 yards and three touchdowns, both looked great. Allen had a beautiful throw before. Like, it's going to be forgotten because, obviously, the DeAndre Hopkins catch at the end. But the, to, to push the Bills ahead earlier on, Allen had a great uh, setup in there. Both were helped out by, like, big performances from their wide receivers. DeAndre Hopkins, 127 yards and a touchdown. Diggs, 93 yards and a touchdown. Both were inconsistent on defense. But this was two young teams with young pieces and, you know, young head coaches and young quarterbacks setting up and playing very exciting football that went over and back towards the all the way to the very end now it didn't feel massively like either one of these teams had an upper hand or were kind of an elite tier team in this game but it was very entertaining to watch and shows an awful lot of promise for both teams yeah and i think you know you you put you have a like spot on right there because i think you're looking at a situation where you know both these teams are really exciting right now they've had you know, numerous games where they've looked absolutely, you know, impossible to beat. Uh, but we do both know that they've also had games this season where they've looked quite lackluster. So these are neither of these are complete teams, but they're both young teams, basically at every level of their organization. And in this case, it took a miracle play from DeAndre Hopkins, where there were three defensive backs all jumping around him. And he just had his hands a little bit higher. And obviously we know that DeAndre Hopkins' hands are quite... Uh, secure and he brought the ball down despite the the pressures under and this is after like you know Kyler Murray had been flushed out of the pocket was busy running towards the sideline when he did his uh he did his throw and uh, apparently Cliff Kingsbury said afterwards that uh you know he's he's five nine so he couldn't see what was happening down there so he's looking up at the the big screen after the play to see what had actually happened so you know like but for Kyler Murray like look he makes uh, like a few mistakes. Like he had an interception in this game. There's a few sacks he, t- he took because the Buffalo Bills, you know, the, the, the defense was up and down. But I think they they had a okay. They had a, certainly had a better idea than Seattle about how to stop him. And I think it was a situation where he, he he's not the perfect quarterback, but his upside is so ridiculous when he when he chooses to tuck and run. His ability to just like juke guys out is is impossible to play against his ability to throw the ball downfield is very impressive as well maybe you know if you're thinking old school you'd want to see him be more consistent do those on time throws a bit better but overall with DeAndre Hopkins there we've just seen him elevate to uh, an elite status just given his unique set of skills like and then Josh Allen like look 
Josh Allen was more of a project. We, he was kind of more uh, played upon uh, in his earlier seasons. But I think, you know, despite his mid-season kind of wobble, I think you're, you're seeing the last few weeks him return to his early season form. A couple of interceptions this game. He certainly needs to work on his underneath game. Um, but you see that potential, that arm talent is just ridiculous. That throws, you say, to Diggs. And to get them up in this game uh, with only 60 seconds left for Arizona to Diggs in, in the corner of the end zone. He's just an incredibly talented player. But once again, a bit he, he has these moments where he, he's a bit dunderheaded. But he does have that ability to run as well. And obviously in the goal line, he's unstoppable with those QB sneaks. So, like, these teams just have so much upside. They're both incredibly fun to watch. Maybe there's, like, noticeable flaws with these. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, they're both teams that should be exciting for a long time to come. And uh, hopefully we can see games like this from both of them uh, going forward for a long time. It was a very fun game to watch. It was one of those NFL games where every once in a while you can just sit back and enjoy and not have to kind of overthink it or overanalyze it. Two very exciting offenses against what were pretty mediocre defenses. Actually, I was more impressed by the defenses for managing to stay in this game. There was, especially in the first half, there was a lot of kind of bend, don't break defense going on. A lot of field goals um, had to, to be kicked. And the, the Bills looked like they were on the top of that contest. And then in the second half, the, the Cardinals offense just started to crush with the option. The Bills just didn't know how to deal with, with the with the diamond, dy- dynamicism um, of the Cardinals offense and it looked like the cards would have pulled out and then i mean alan looks like he's made the, the kind of the statement drive and a statement past that the moment he matures and becomes the kind of the, the, the all-star nfl quarterback brings his team into a, a kind of a tough situation and pulls out the win uh, inside of two minutes and it looks like it's all going the headlines are all going to be about alan and then just one of those nfl moments happens where where murray somehow manages to get a 50-yard throw off and i mean i really think you're understating to a certain extent, Roland, just how incredible this catch was. Hopkins, he had two defenders completely surrounding him, and then a third defender kind of playing disrupting, kind of dive in at the last moment to try and disrupt the ball. Uh, and nonetheless, he managed to pull it out. It was just a, an incredible moment. Both these teams um, deserve a lot of kudos for how well they played, and both these teams are going to go, maybe not this year, maybe they're a little bit too flawed to go too far this year. Um, but certainly in the years to come, I, I could see both Allen and Murray leading his, their teams to very deep playoff runs and, and maybe a, a couple of Super Bowls. This, this, could be, this game could be looked back upon as the start of, of, a, of a very interesting era for, for both of these two teams. To be honest, it's a very interesting period for the AFC East. We'll talk about uh, that a little bit later on. But Buffalo there and what we're seeing down in Florida as well, very fun. Baltimore at New England, the other end of this. New England managed to pull out a win against Baltimore in really, really brutal, brutal conditions with just run game hitting it hard. Harris, 121 yards. Cam, 21 yards on the ground, the touchdown, like only 100 and change passing. The Baltimore defense really didn't do much. It only got one sack in this game. And Lamar, look, he gets 300 yards. He gets two touchdowns. But again, another storyline of, once they fall behind, Baltimore not being able to figure out what to do in the game. Now, look, like we said, terrible conditions, so it's a hard one to draw big generalized points out of. But, yeah, look, a decent win for New England. And as I mentioned in the news section, Baltimore are just starting to lose a step. Yeah, yeah, I think Baltimore's uh, divisional race is pretty much run. But um, if you ever wanted proof that, that God is a New England Patriots fan... The, the fact that the torrential downpour that happened in this game only really kicked in once the Patriots were ahead. And the closer the Ravens got to, to pulling it level, the more it torrentially downpoured to the fact in the final drive where the Ravens needed a touchdown, you literally couldn't see anything 
um, there was such a, a kind of a biblical <laughs> downpour um, going on. I mean, I, I wrote the Pats off last week after their really poor performance against the Jets, and they just won't they just won't let me rest. They just won't let me live <laughs> in my despair. Back into hope now, four and five, playing the Texans next week, looking at five hundred, and the the Bills dropping a game, and suddenly your you, your eyes begin to open. This was the best best Pats performance on both sides of the ball since the COVID era, since the COVID incident back in week three or week four. Um, really great performances by previous kind of fringe players. Harris is really developing into a number one runner that this side needed. Similarly, Myers is stepping up to become the number one receiver. Um, just when it looked like the team really had no kind of direction or no kind of pivots to, to, to have these players begin to emerge um, on the offensive side. So things looking very good for the Pats. Quite well coached as well, I think. I think Belichick I mean, there's some concerns the Ravens have, and I think even Lamar Jackson has expressed this publicly. There's concerns that the Ravens have become quite predictable um, as in terms of offensive play calling. So I think Belichick knew exactly what was going to happen, and being the coach that he was, he knew how to, to play them on. In terms of the Ravens, yeah, some serious some serious kind of soul-searching that needs to be done here. Numerous errors on the offense, botched snaps uh, and the such like. Disciplinary issues and penalties killed them on the defense. Numbers of really kind of bad moments where, where penalties cost them very big and also there was some kind of strange kind of offensive strategy with the rain coming in the the run became the more important part of it and given how poor the Pats run defense is you would have expected Baltimore to lean very heavily on the run and they didn't really at all the, the Pats defense was able to deal well with kind of early running and then the Ravens seemed to give up on it a bit decide to try and win on the pass but I think this Pats defense run defense probably could have been broken if, if the Ravens had just stuck at it, especially as the, the rain began to fall and turn into a mud bowl. This really was a chance for the Ravens to show off their running game, and they just didn't. And ultimately, they just their passing game, given the conditions and given the, the kind of the drop-in-form scene from Lamar Jackson, they just couldn't get it done. So, yeah, very good win, unexpected win for the Pats, but we're maybe just now two weeks delayed from when I can finally write this season off. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, shout out to, to Damien Harris. Like, that was uh, an impressive game. Obviously, Sony Michelle is currently an IOR, and they, you know, you're kind of wondering who would take his place. And obviously, it's, it's a much different offense in terms of how it looks compared to when the New England Patriots were dominating with the run game a couple of years ago with Tom Brady. But I think, you know, Harris is showing to be just as effective within that Cam Newton, uh, more read option type offense with the, which they've kind of rolled out. And yeah, like I think maybe with the Baltimore run game, it has come a bit predictable, but maybe they might benefit from, from actually being a bit more predictable themselves and just focusing in in one or two of these guys rather than just spreading the ball completely evenly and just like trying to reestablish a bit of level of trust there. Because I think, you know, when you're throwing in like the, the Mark Ingram, the direct snap, which did work earlier this season, um, but which ended up being botched in the, the horrible conditions here where, where players were bobbling the, the ball all game, especially in the second half. It just speaks to me of a team that they're predictable and then the things that the wrinkles that they're trying to ruin just seem a bit gimmicky. Um, so yeah, the identity of, of that offense is just... Yeah, just, just very much an identity crisis right there. Jacksonville at Green Bay is up next. Uh, this was a bit of a surprise nail-biter to finish, 20-24. to 24. Green Bay just about survived. Rodgers, 325 yards, two touchdowns, interception. Hits up MVS for 149 yards and a touchdown. Uh, you're welcome, MVS, because I dropped you in two fancy leagues if that happens. Uh, <laughs> Adams had 66 and a touchdown out of fourth fumble. But uh, yeah, considering the usage Adam has had the last while, good job on them to shut him down. Jacksonville lead on Robinson, 109 yards against the Green Bay defense. And Luton, 
Look, he looks every bit a six-round rookie, you know, 169 yards, touchdown, interception. Their defense looked a little bit better in this game, but to be honest, I was frankly surprised that it was this close. I know they did have, like, a special team score and all that kind of stuff in it, but uh, Green Bay should be should have been able to put this to bed a lot quicker and a lot easier at home, no? I mean, yeah, you would, you would have thought so, but we've seen this from the Packers this season, that they do have games where they don't really fire in all cylinders. I, I it kind of feels like they're not. Sometimes they are. They're not up for a fight, and sometimes if teams kind of stick with them for a while, they they get a little bit antsy. Rogers likes to dominate, and when it's not happening straight away, it seems that he gets quite getting quite impatient these days. The Packers were always the better team in this, and it, it kind of always felt that they would just do enough uh, in the end. I think the Packers' problem is that their defense really just doesn't seem to do anything. Um, there's really not an awful lot coming out of their defense, which keeps and keep teams in it when Rodgers um, and the offense isn't firing on all cylinders. Um, the Jacks, Jacksonville defense, which is usually quite poor, did make some some plays in this game, which I was quite impressed with. They did rely a little bit on their special teams. There was a punt return TD, and there's also some kind of 50-plus field goals keeping the, the score ticking over uh, as well. And in terms of Jake Luton, I think we can we can call after only two weeks we can call a close to Luton sanity. Um, I don't think this guy um, is the answer. Maybe it's time to go back to Minshew Mania and, and think about the possibilities. Um, as Jacksonville mire in the mediocre um, for another season, they just they just never seem to be able to get good, um, which is sad in a way, but also a, a kind of a reassuring that the, the universe will always be so kind of way. feels um, like a, a nice slice of normality uh, in these abnormal times. For forget Luton and Minshew Mania, like it's... Robin season in Jacksonville. It's all about the the undrafted rookie who's having a really good season against like look Green Bay's run defense is pretty bad. Like it, it, that's why Jacksonville were able to stay in this game. And you know James Robinson has been really solid. Like he just seems like a good back who might be around for a while in the, in the here. And I think you know like the Jacksonville defense they've been dealing with so many injuries to their key players that they're a team that really only has like three or four stars and they've all been hurt at one time or another. But I think the fact that they're all on the field now just turns them from a like a horrible defense to a you know pretty okay defense or at least not embarrassing defense and look yeah i think green bay we can't quite put our finger on what the problem is there that's basically been the case um since lafleur came in as the head coach there um, and maybe even uh, preceding that with mccarty but like look rogers even in a bad game has those big plays in this game for mbs and a couple of Devontae adams as well so i think you know against these bad teams you can get away with it but yeah i think they're just a team that you're still a little bit going where are they a genuine Super Bowl contender? The record says they are, but the way they play sometimes makes you, you know, doubt that they actually are. No, of course. Seattle at the Rams, 16-23. to The Rams' defense comes through six sacks, two interceptions, and a forced fumble, and just bullies Russell Wilson, who 303 yards, two interceptions, and a forced fumble, is playing his way out of the uh, MVP conversation. Some red zone mistakes, and Ramsey just handled DK Metcalf. Now, whether that was Wilson just not wanting to throw against him or what exactly, but uh, yeah, Ramsey just shattered him the whole game and did nothing. The run game did nothing. Carson and Hyde missing. Goff had 302 yards. The run game got over 103 touchdowns. I think it was Balcom Brown on two of them from short out. So, like, it was a solid game from the Rams. This division is confusing as hell to me at the moment because I think the Rams are probably the third best team in their division, but they are the most consistent and the most boring. So they're going to win games like this and then they would lose in maybe four out of the other five times they'd play. It's uh, Seattle just didn't come to the race at all. 
Yeah, and like the scoreline probably flatters Seattle considering how bad they were. Uh, that's probably, you know, a situation where like Seattle are dealing with a lot of injuries right now. Uh, they're missing their top two cornerbacks. Uh, they're missing their top two running backs. Uh, they're missing their center. And then their their replacement center this game was playing hurt in the second half and had a couple of botched snaps that, that seemed to reflect that. Um, so like, look, there are excuses there if you want to find them. But I think the reality of this game is, is that like Russell Wilson was bullied. Um, he was sacked and hit continuously. He ended up making three turnovers. Um, we've seen now uh, multiple turnovers, basically the most turnovers in the last three games from Russell Wilson compared to the rest of the league uh, from quarterbacks. So that's just a huge red flag. And it just kind of feels that the offensive line is, is allowing him to get hit a lot. And that's leading him to almost being defeatist like you know he's not setting up those long shots um to dk metcalf because he doesn't trust that the line will hold long enough for him not to get gobbled up by aaron donald uh, and ultimately then the whole uh, offense stutters because the run game is running through alex collins who came off the street so the whole thing you know like like we talked about it earlier in the year like i talked about this a lot was like you know you can use the pass game to set up the run game but if if, if no one respects your run game at all which they would if you had chris Carson there then you, they can focus in and stop. They can just put like, you know, seven defensive backs out there and just, you know, stop any deep throws. Like to be fair to the Rams, like, you know, one of their interceptions was an absolute, like ridiculous uh, catch uh, by the, by their, the, not by Ramsey, because he was kind of mostly left alone by, by, by Williams or other cornerback who's looking very, you know, uh, very exciting as a, as a prospect. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, this is just a Seahawks team that, due to injuries and due to the fact that their defense isn't very good, just let the Rams win this. Because, like, let's be honest, like, the Rams offense, they had a fair amount of yards, around 400 yards, but they just looked incredibly inconsistent. They had a, a forced fumble, I think, golf. So, I think if you're a Rams fan, the one worry you would have is, I like, guess, you're the most consistent team, but you see that when Goff is put under pressure, he's still not quite making yeah. do. And that even against a good, like even against a team which is obviously bad against the pass and has been all year, they decided to keep running the ball, even though that's what the Seahawks are kind of better against. So, mm-hmm. you know, when Buffalo beat beat up the Seahawks through the air last week and went to the air all the time, you kind of wonder why didn't Goff do a bit more of that considering, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a well-paid quarterback. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't massively bode well for either team, really, when you look at it on review. But I'm sure, look, there's still space and we're probably going to see two of these teams out of this division making it through anyway. Uh, Houston at Cleveland. My God, yeah, this was 3 to nothing late into the game. 7-10. to 10. Cleveland win in windy conditions with Chubb over 126 yards on a touchdown. Uh, decided to run out of bounds at the end. Basically, two fingers to Todd Gurley to show he knows how to play smart. <laughs> Hunt went over 130 yards as well. Baker, at 130 yards. He didn't do anything in the game. Watson looked great, 163 and a touchdown. But, you know, there's only so much they can do without weapons on the outside. No run game. Jute Dodson at 54 yards. Like, the run defense was exposed. This was a one-sided affair but Cleveland were just still it, completely incapable of actually punching it or doing something. Like we said, they have, what, 260 yards on the ground between their two running backs. And like I said, they were up by three points in the second half. Like, there was nothing happening. Nothing was getting sealed in this game. But it was a good win for Cleveland. Nice to see them with their pieces back in place with Chubb returning from injury. And Houston kind of just looked pretty sad at this point. Very weird to see the Browns grind out a win. We're just we're just not used to seeing any Browns team being capable of that. Um, so it's very, 
very interesting. I mean, I, I think they're they're not going to do too well down the stretch, I think, because their division is too tough and the AFC in, in total looks like quite a tough conference to, to get kind of a high seeding from. But Cleveland were the better team here, especially in the run. Chubb really gives the Cleveland offense a lot more options, allows them to pivot almost entirely towards a very run-heavy um, offense, which between Chubb and Hunt can, can really destroy teams. Um, Chubb, I mean, effectively scored two touchdowns almost on his own here. Hunt contributed two. So it, they were able to hide Baker Mayfield's kind of deficiencies, um, which is good, except for the fact that he didn't score a lot of points. For the Texans, it's hard to know where, to, where their, this team is going. The this extent to which Watson is very much kind of carrying the Texans and looking um, way too good for this team is getting more noticeable week by week. I think this is this is the long-term impact of that bizarre trade that they did at the start of the season where they uh, get rid of Hopkins. Now we're seeing those chickens come home to roots where the Texans just don't have anything going for them whatsoever. Watson will keep them competitive in games like this against kind of mid, mid, mid-table, you might call them, um, teams. Um, but the Texans, have, uh, there's a long way back to them in, in terms of how they're going to to improve and get back into the playoffs from here. No, of course. And like we said, Houston missing their first and second round pick this year. Those are both with Miami and I think their first round pick for next year as well. So uh, it's not looking like they're going to be able to improve that situation too much in the offseason. Washington at Detroit, 27 to 30. So close for poor Alex Smith to have that comeback win. Detroit escaped with a 59-yard walk-off field goal after giving up 17 points in the fourth quarter. Smith threw for, I think, 400 yards nearly in this one. Shows promise. It's scary Terry pulling in 122 of those yards. The defense was bleh. It had a couple of nice spots, but overall was quite inconsistent. Stafford getting 270 yards and three touchdowns. Swift looked good, 149 a touchdown. But again, some of that was fits and starts from mistakes on that defense. It was a sloppy game overall. Alex Smith played okay, but again, almost like the Browns thing, was able to get the yards, but just couldn't have that killer instinct to finish off drives and stuff like that. And again, through a couple of couple of shaky passes towards the tail end that... Uh, kind of cost them their, their their chance at it but you know a decent win for Detroit but these are like I can't help but look at this as two also runs by record neither of them is above 500 Detroit maybe could sneak into that seven seed spot if you know someone like the, the Seahawks or the Rams or someone had a collapse late on but yeah I think they're they're mostly competing maybe for the eighth seed which is where the runner up the NFC North will end up but like Washington are you know, they're in the thick of it because the NFC East, and we have to keep talking about these NFC East teams, um, they're well on track to having a division win with around four to six wins. But, like, look, in this game, Detroit, you know, they they, they were they were comfortable in this game. Like, Stafford was doing well in play action because the Andre Swift, they, they named him the starter before this game, and he showed that he is a legitimate starter. The 150 yards, he's very effective as a runner, but also, as importantly, as a pass option. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you consider the, how much more dynamic the offense looked like compared to when they were playing Adrian Peterson, um, it's just night and day. Play this guy more. Stop with the Adrian Peterson nonsense, um, yeah. please, Detroit. But the defensive collapse late is just a major red flag about this Detroit team in general. And 17 points in the fourth quarter to, uh, you know, like, look, fair play to, to Alex Smith. He, he played his heart out and he's obviously, he, I think this performance alone guarantees that, that comeback player of the year thing. But yeah, like I think in that final drive, even where they got the field goal to even this up, a lot of flags, a lot of penalties, yeah. lots of issues. 
Um, so look, there's 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 dynamic playmakers on this Washington offense. You have Terry McLaurin, you have Antonio Gibson, you have JD McKissick. These are guys who can make something out of nothing on every play, so they can get this type of yardage. But yeah, they just lack that consistency to, to kind of get it done. You think uh, against uh, better defenses? So look, uh, I think you know Washington. They were hoping to be a defense-led team with all of that talent they've amassed, but that they're not really getting that right now. But I suppose, you know, at least they're getting some offense. This is a team that has talent all over it. So I think, you know, going forward, maybe they can be a better team. But right now, it just isn't clicking. No, of course, Philadelphia at New York Giants, 17-27. to The cripple fight for the NFC East continues. Sean? We've reached a point in this evolution of this very strange division that now the, the New York Giants are, are the great hope of the NFC East. 3-2 and two against divisional rivals, even though this was very strangely the first time in four years they've beaten a divisional rival who was not Washington. Um, <laughs> but they're... Yeah, I know. It's, it's really, really bad. Uh, but they're 0-5 out of division, so they they must be really worried about the fact that they're running out of division games. They played Dallas in the last weekend, but apart from that, they have to play out of division for the rest of the season. Um, Danny Dimes had, had a pretty good game, 300 all, all-purpose yards and a touchdown. He showed he does have some skills when he's capable um, of staying on his feet and holding onto the ball. Um, good things can happen. The defense, as, as Fitz has been talking up in the past few weeks, has been solid. It probably looks good enough to, to carry them through to winning this division. But the really talking point, I think, is the other end of the ball. And the Eagles are, I mean, I don't know where they're, they're going. This team should, on talent, especially with Dallas being the mess that they are, should have the talent to win this division. But they just don't look like they're, they're going to produce it at all. Carson Wentz looks so far down um, on his peak years. He's just not a special, exciting talent anymore. He's gotten very kind of average and very quickly. He had about mm-hmm. 212 yards in this game, but, but not an awful lot of excitement or, or big plays down the stretch. The Philly run game was better. Sanders was productive. He had about 95 yards. Boston Scott had an explosive um, TD play of his own. So there, there's kind of shoots, uh, green shoots there for the Eagles. But we had penciled this. I talked about this a few weeks ago. We penciled this as the game that got the Eagles to 500 and the NFC East to some level of dignity. But now it seems that we are um, being slowly being sucked uh, into the, the quicksand of despair and that the NFC East um, is representing. <laughs> and I I do think uh, myself and Fitz went through the, the schedules um, earlier. It's quite likely possibly five, even four wins uh, for the division winner looks possible at this stage, which is just uh, it's just embarrassing and for all concerns. And the sooner they, they, they span this division and get away from the it's a it's four big markets so we can get away with having four crap teams better. Yeah, just get these teams away from each other for the good of all concerned. No, of course. Uh, next up Minnesota Chicago, nineteen to thirteen Ronan. Kirk Cousins wins against a team with a winning record, albeit not for much longer, you imagine. Uh, wins <laughs> on Monday Night Football, which he's never done before. I think this is his ninth or tenth opportunity to do so. And so it upends all the thing, upends up all the records, but it was won in a fairly Minnesota way. They, you know, they they ran the ball okay-ish with Cook. He had nearly a hundred yards, but you know that that he could they the Chicago defense was keying in on Cook so much that they left the play action relatively open for Cousins, who had a nice day around three hundred yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, with Justin Jefferson and Thielen both having solid days, uh, Jefferson got the yards, but Thielen got the touchdowns. But on the other side. Nick Foles was awful before getting absolutely, you know, killed on the final drive, which the injury turned out to be less bad than expected. And like their only, you know, spark of fun was the Patterson touchdown on special teams, uh, the 104 yard 
uh, kick return. That was the only thing that looked exciting the rest of the day. The offense was awful. And look, Chicago, you know, Allen Robinson is good. That's okay. But, you know, stop trying to make, you know, Patterson into a running back. I know Montgomery was out, but Patterson isn't a running back. Stop trying to do so. Uh, so Minnesota, look, they didn't have to do much here to win, but they did the thing that they do well, and, and it was enough in this case. And Kirk Cousins gets a, a lot of things that we don't expect in him usually. Dever at the Vegas Raiders, 12-37. to 37. Man, this is one-sided. Vegas ran all over Denver. Jacobs, 136 yards and two touchdowns. Booker, 80 more and two touchdowns. Carr looked fine, but they just didn't need to use him at all. Uh, Locke had a couple of picks in this one. Uh, I think four, if I remember correctly. Yeah, their offense just didn't get anything going. The Vegas D looks good, and they look like they're playing kind of old-school 70s football, so that'll keep Gruden happy. But yeah, like I am concerned looking at this Vegas team. They look good. I'm not loving the having to go and play them next week, particularly if we do end up missing any of our tackles in that. But this was a good win for Vegas and sad state of affairs for Denver. It looks like they're going to need to go and try and find that quarterback again because Locke is not the guy. Tampa Bay at Carolina, 46-23. to Tom was annoyed, Sean. Yeah, the, the bounce back from, from last week's um, debacle, Tampa Bay, and very impressive in this game. They could have scored about 70 points if they converted their their a lot of their red zone drives, about half of their red zone drives ended up being field goals, which is why they only got 46 points. Yeah, the, the, the offense did, did very well. Brady had over 300 yards and three touchdowns, spread the ball uh, quite um, a lot. Good run game um, as well. The Ronald Jones had a, a almost a 200-yard day, including a 98-yard TD run, which was, to be fair, an absolutely appalling defending by the Panthers. They they stacked up the secondary at the line and kind of crushed a kind of a, the Bucks in at the goal line, and then Jones only had to break one tackle, and he was in the open field. Um, so big problems there. Well, I suppose for the Bucks, most interesting thing is to keep an eye on, on Antonio Brown. He was used a lot more than he's been used in any other game so far. And it's particularly the way that he's been used. He's kind of become Brady's long threat slash go-to guy on third downs, kind of what Gronk was and later Edelman in the Patriots year. So obviously Brady wants someone he can feels he can rely on. And Brown may have been auditioning for that role in this game. If that is true, then... And he, on a sporting level, he, he's probably won that role, which will make it tougher down the line um, when they do inevitably have to cut him. So Tampa Bay bounced back and showed that maybe last week was a bit of an aberration. For Carolina, I mean, there's just not an awful lot going on here. Bridgewater had only about 136 yards. He was kind of bullied all day by the defense. They had three sacks for the Tampa Bay defense. Um, they just weren't – they got very reliant on, on short passes. Teddy had through his first 12 – completions or something he's 12 for 12 but only had had about like less than 50 yards or something like that for those first 12 completions so they're just far too uh, risk averse mm-hmm. um, on the defensive end their their turn down d is atrocious their running run game d and their pass game d um has had was in this game exposed quite badly and um, they've got some very strange defensive designs um obviously um this coaching staff think they're geniuses sometimes and when they're not so after talking up the Panthers last week, I'm going to have to talk them down and say that there's a lot of work to be done here. But for the yeah. Bucks side, especially with the Saints potentially losing Drew Brees for six weeks, the Bucks are back in with a shot of, of topping um, their division and possibly getting number one seed. If they, can, if they can play like this every week, they're going to be very hard to beat. No, of course. Colts at Tennessee, 34-17, to running. Yeah, a really important win for Indianapolis. It evens them up on top of the... Uh 
the AFC South. And it was really a battle of like consistency versus upside and consistency won. So like, you know, Rivers still doesn't look like the greatest quarterback in the world, but he had over 300 yards here and he basically gave the ball a load to his uh, running back, Naheem Hines, who, who's basically the best pass catching back and is turning into the Eckler of that team. Uh, and it was nice to see the rookie uh, wide receiver Pittman go over 100 yards too, mostly, again, yards after the catch. So, look, they have a template and it mostly works. Short passes, yards after the catch. I think maybe their only issue is they still can't really establish the, you know, hard-nosed run game still with Jonathan Taylor. It's just not working right now. And on the other side, Tannehill was pinned down all game. He had less than 150 yards. And Henry was mostly kept under wraps. And once Indianapolis went up uh, in the third quarter, Henry's kind of been taken out of the game. They're not playing Henry when they're behind. They obviously don't trust that their run game is as explosive as it has been in recent times. And the, the fact that Tennessee made those mistakes in this game, they had a missed field goal, they had a blocked punt that went for a TD, just let Indianapolis get ahead of them after a close first half. And then in the fourth quarter, it just never looked like Tennessee could get back into this. So look, Indianapolis, they're a solid team all round. They have a good defense. They've got a solid offense, but they, you know, just the upside doesn't really feel that much. Whereas for Tennessee, that they feel like they're going to go nine and seven again, because that's what they do. And uh, nothing here makes me make, makes me go away from that at the moment. No, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, 10 to 36. Uh, Pittsburgh defense just beat up on Joe Burrow. Four sacks, two forced fumbles. Burrow only had 200 yards and a touchdown. Higgins for over 100, but that was pretty much it for their offense. I think they're also desperately waiting for Mixon to get back into the mix. Big Ben, four touchdowns. 333 yards half the way to Satan. And that's the, yeah, they got Johnson for 116, Juju for 77, and Claypool for 56 with a touchdown, a touchdown, and two touchdowns each. Uh, they're just not bothering with the run game, and I don't think that's any bad thing because I think Connor is, is the worst starting running back in the league, probably. But yeah, no hassle to them to sort this out. Cincinnati look not up to the task. Pittsburgh looks strong. But again, it's hard to take too much from this when it's that one side of the game. We'll see how they fare later on down the stretch. San Fran at New Orleans, 13-27. to God, the injuries. Sean? Yeah, a bit of a, an injury fest um, all around, um, although the Saints get the win in the end. Oh, but at what cost, um, you ask? Um, so an interesting game here that the, the, the 49ers were able to get up 10-0 early, but then the Saints got into their groove and it never looked like they were going to lose um, from there. Kamara absolutely crushed this game, 98 yards and three touchdowns. But the Saints run defense shot down whatever the fifth or sixth uh, string San Francisco running backs at this stage. Uh, Mullins had a decent game for for San Francisco, uh, 247 yards, a TD and interception, but, but the, the injuries are really hurting San Francisco at this point. They also made a couple of special teams mistakes. I think a two different uh, muffed punts um, by the 49ers really killed them in terms of field position. The big kind of takeaway from this game, though, is the loss of Drew Brees and how New Orleans will react to that. Jameson, James Winston was okay in this, um, but it's it's difficult to see how they're going to rely upon him, especially since it's a very kind of coordinated time-based offense. Will we see more of Taysom Hill? I don't know. I think he works as the kind of once-in-a-while special play kind of guy. I don't think he has the, the passing skills more than anything else to, to be the go-to receiver or the go-to quarterback um, for the Saints. So the Saints win, but but it could be costly going down the run. And for the, and for the 49ers, they're 4-6 and six and their season is over. They're not going to be retaining um, their, their conference crown. The biggest problem is not, withstanding the 
injuries, there's just too many good teams in their division. They're just going to have to beat too many teams, good teams down the stretch to get their record to where um, it needs to be. Um, so both of these teams, both teams can come away from this game perhaps a little bit sad about how, how things um, turned out. No, of course. And finally, the battle of the rookies, the Chargers at Miami, 21-29, to Roland. Yeah, and like Deontay's game wasn't as close as the final score. Like Miami dominated this game and very similar to that Indianapolis-Tennessee game. It was a, a win for consistency and overall quality uh, in your roster versus having a few superstars. Uh, the Miami D basically shut down Herbert. He had his worst game, less than 200 yards, two touchdowns and interception, and he just looked... Um, stifled all game but like to be fair that Miami defense is doing that a lot two sacks interception less than 300 yards allowed it's just it's a very good defense under Brian Flores he's really making some really good lemon aid right now out of you know the, the what should be the lemons of rookies a lot of rookies young players but they, they look like veterans right now and look on the other side too it was fine um, two touchdowns. He had a forced fumble, which is unfortunate, but the run game, once again, was solid with this uh, guy, uh, Ahmed. They just seem to have these random running backs come in and just be solid. 4.0 per, per carry here. And yeah, like the Chargers are an inconsistent team. They're up and down. They have you know lots of exciting moments that make you go, wow, but the Miami Dolphins are a solid winning team that are in contention in their division. And, you know, for the Chargers, you know, they probably want to take note of what it, what you have to do to win games uh, and not just look like a fun team. No, of course. And what we'll do is we'll move on now to the games for next week. OK, so first up, Thursday Night Football, Arizona at Seattle. We've gone for Arizona across the board. This is surprising. I will say, now, everyone, this is your pick of the week. I had a quick look beforehand. Russell Wilson is 6-0 and on Thursday Night Football. And we're saying this is going to be the one that he loses. Yeah, this is a classic case where I just don't want to double down on the sadness. Like I, <laughs> in all in fantasy football, in supporting things, I often and pick some like let's like average out the bad um, occurrences that I I can you know minimax the unhappiness problem. But uh, yeah, look like Arizona, they're on a hot streak right now. They beat Seattle. Uh, about a month ago at this point and uh, Seattle on the other hand uh, are I wouldn't say in a tailspin but they're in a bit of a, a funk basically like look Arizona we know what they do well uh, like Kyler Murray is impossible to stop when he gets outside the pocket he obviously has DeAndre Hopkins to throw it up to and Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk have, have made uh, pretty good contributions as well so look you just have to stop them and, and focus in on stopping the passing game and stopping Kyler Murray in the running game because I think like Look, if you if you put the ball into Kenyon Drake's hands 20, uh, 20 times for Arizona, that that's probably better for Seattle than having it in Kyler Murray's hands. So I think they will, you know, they've been bad at this. And in the Buffalo game, they did the exact opposite. You know, realize what the strengths are. Don't try and stop the run game as your first priority. That that will probably be okay on defense. Uh, you know, if this is kept to less than 400 yards, you'd probably be happy. And then on the offense, you just need to figure this out. Like the, the Arizona defense isn't good. And I think, you know, Patrick Peterson was pretty good against DK last time, but I think you just need to, you know, you need to sit Russell Wilson down and go, okay, we, we just need to be solid. We need to make solid decisions. And if they get Carlos Hyde and or Chris Carson back, I think that will be a major step forward, uh, even though Alex Collins looked okay on as the lead back last time out. So I think for Seattle, they just need to get back to where they were earlier in the season and try and do that. Unless you know, teams have figured it out completely. But I just don't think there's enough talent on that Arizona defense to shut down Russell Wilson to the extent that he has been um, by the, the Rams this week. And for, you know, Arizona, yeah, like I think that that's the case. Like I think 
most likely this will turn into a shootout again like they had earlier on this season but like this is a huge game for the division like whoever wins this will top the division um after this week and seattle after this have four pretty easy games um so if they can win this it sets them really nice to win this division and also potentially get that number one seed but if they lose here they're definitely just gone into the wild card pile and and that's been problematic and given where they were you know just a month ago you'd have to be very disappointed with that so like look Arizona the hot team I'm going to give it to the hot hand and, and to minimize my unhappiness if, if Seattle lose but uh, yeah this should be a fun and exciting game to watch at least for the neutral yeah no I'm looking forward to it Pittsburgh at Jacksonville me and Fitz have gone for Pittsburgh Sean you've gone for Jacksonville yes uh, let me try to uh, explain <laughs> so <laughs> I, I believe that in every season there is at least one massive shock, some completely unforeseen uh, result. And I have a weird feeling that this is going to be this season's massive shock. Pittsburgh are, are 9-0 and they don't really look like an unbeaten team. And it, it kind of feels like their record is going to be taken from them, not by a good team beating them, but from a game like this falling to pieces. Um, we saw what they did against Dallas um, two weeks ago, almost throwing that away. So, I mean, I can kind of see it, it kind of uh, being a, a surprise here and, and Jacksonville doing enough. I mean, uh, I will admit I don't really know how the Jags are going to score any points in this game, given how bad their offense is and how good the, the Pittsburgh uh, defense is. But, I don't know, maybe special teams will make a whole bunch of plays and then there'll be some, there'll be a couple of pick sixes against Roethlisberger and the, the Jags will eke it out. Nothing other than a very strange intuition has me picking the Jags um, to win this one. But you've got to gamble... Um, to win. Oh yeah, it'd be, it would be very gar- very Gardner Minshew to come in and win this game and then not win another game for the season or something and just leave them confused as what they're trying to do with them afterwards. Okay, Tennessee at Baltimore. We've all gone for Baltimore in this one. Uh, Baltimore have not been playing the best of late, but neither have Tennessee. you gotta got to hope that they would be able to put it together here. But yeah, this is a fairly close game, to be honest. Yeah, and very important as well. Like Tennessee are obviously in a big scrap for their division at the moment. Um, we've seen flashes of them being dominant this year. Um, we've seen the defense be very up and down. Um, and obviously we know that their offense runs through Derrick Henry. So it'll be interesting to see whether the Baltimore defense, which struggles so much against New England and their run game this week, um, has a similar uh, situation. They're missing Calais Campbell. It's just hard to know whether that one missing piece has suddenly turned them into a, a below-average run defense. Uh, I don't think so. I think they can get the job done here and force it into T- Tannehill's hands. And look, Tannehill has had games where he's he's been able to pick up that slack. They do have AJ Brown. They do have Corey Davis. They do have Jonathan Smith. They do have weapons there, but the the inconsistency has just been incredibly high for them. Um, and for Baltimore, they've probably been less inconsistent somehow than Tennessee but they've also just been completely up and down so I think for Baltimore if they can stop the run game from Tennessee I think I'd give them a good shot here but if they can't then this could be another big loss for them but uh, I'm going to put the trust in Baltimore that they can figure this out with John Harbaugh uh, you could always trust that like, you, you know, they may be able to figure this out and get a, a win, important win against Tennessee here No of course Cincinnati at Washington we've all got for Cincinnati look Love Alex Smith, like what they're doing, but there's just not the talent overall in that roster. Cincinnati have been looking good while they've had one or two bad results of late. That's you know, this isn't the Pittsburgh undefeated defense that they're going up against with. I would expect to see Burrow do quite nicely here and have a bit of a bounce back game after last week. Philly at Cleveland, we've all gone for Cleveland. Oh, we're all giving up on Philly so easily. 
Yeah, I've given up on the NFC East. I've given up on the NFC East and beating anybody from outside the NFC East. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. This is your new vibe of the. You want the five win, um, the five win champion. The lowest lowest number of wins possible. Yeah, Um, I mean, even looked good last week. The Eagles tied with the Bengals, and the Browns are better than the Bengals, so therefore the Browns should beat the Eagles. Ah, yes, the transitive property. (laughs) That always works, right? And like, look, like we know what Cleveland need to do. They need to run the ball hard right down the Philly, Philly's throats. And if they can establish the run and control the clock, then, you know, the, the complete inconsistency of Carson Wentz, who's looks absolutely terrible at the moment. Yeah, he's uh, awful. You know, just do, shouldn't be enough. So I think Cleveland, if they can add that feather of being able to close games out, because I don't expect them to blow Philly out. Um, then that would be a major step forward for them to kind of, you know, getting a reasonable seating in the AFC. But uh, yeah, this is a GTA game. Did you expect Cleveland to win? Oh, they should win if they want to be considered genuine, you know, you know, worse considering as legitimate contenders come January. Yeah. Next up, Detroit and Carolina. Me and Sean have gone for Carolina and Fitz, you've gone for Detroit. Yeah, but like, let's be honest, this game isn't really relevant. These are teams that are going to finish around 500 at best. Like, these are just two flawed teams that have their ups and have their downs. Both of their quarterbacks are dealing with slight uh, injury issues. Um, so we may we may see backups as well. And look, I'm going for Detroit because I, I think DeAndre Swift was really solid and the Carolina run defense is really bad. So look, I'm, I'm, I, I have Swift in one fantasy league, so I'm just going to go, yeah, that guy's really good. Let's just see more of him. <laughs> Um, I know you tried to unload him on me in that fantasy league last week. Yeah, like look, if they on like if Detroit can get out of their own way, I think they can get this done. But like if they can't, then Carolina have probably been a bit more consistent over the course of. The I will say I've but been yeah. enjoying Carolina. Have been and it wasn't just for the Chiefs game last week as well. They started just going for it on fourth down, like fourth and five. Like they're just they're just playing crazy, and I kind of like it. Yeah, well, like they had something to make them interesting because <laughs> mm. uh, right pretty now, boring other than that. Well, it's just the the record and where they are. That they're, they're just you know this season is really just about uh, building up that talent level for the what could be a very solid team going forward. Next up, Atlanta at New Orleans. I have literally just changed my pick there to Atlanta. So yeah, we've got this should be an interesting game. Atlanta have been playing surprisingly well of late. Uh, although they they if it wasn't for a Todd Gurley mistake, they would be better off. New Orleans obviously are going to have the injury worries coming in here with Drew Brees coming out. I'm, I'm literally just on the basis of it's Jameis Winston who's going to be starting for New Orleans or Taysom Hill. I'm going to pick the other team. But yeah, this will be, I, I've got a feeling this could be a very exciting game to watch. Falcons are probably better than we think in our heads because we associate them with the, the team that was team that was so awful in the first five weeks. But since then they've, They've been pretty decent. I think they're three and one since um, um, the the firing. So and the Saints. This is going to be an interesting test to see can the who are the Saints going to rely on a quarterback and can they make it work? Will they try this kind of 50-50 Winston um, Hill split? Could that work? Will they rely on Winston? Uh, could that work? I mean, there's a lot of variables here, so I can certainly see why Atlantic would be competitive. But I just think there's just enough talent in the Saints team. And that Sean and Sean Payton is a good enough coach. They will find a way to win this game. They'll they'll find a way to keep this together um, for another week. I would say. Yeah, and of course that one loss for Atlanta was against Detroit in the uh, dumbest way possible. Yeah, they they actually <laughs> they scored a touchdown to lose the game, which is just phenomenal. And New England at Houston. Uh, me and Sean have gone for New England, and Fitz has gone for Houston in this one. Yeah, I'm not really interested in watching this game. Yeah, it's it's going to be. 
again, this is this is the the Pat seasons still have somehow still alive. They're they're playing a team that are not having a good season. They should get out with a win, but at the same time, these are the kind of games we saw against Denver and we saw against San Francisco. These are the kind of games that the Pats have been losing. So it's really tough to know which way it's going to go. I, I'm going to reinvest my faith after after abandoning them last week. I'm back in for this season. I believe that Belichick can, can pull them out. I just don't... I mean, it's the theory that Belichick always takes away your, your team's strongest weapon, and, and Houston's strongest weapon is um, Deshaun Watson, and without Watson, they have nobody. So if the Pats' defense can stifle Watson, then the Texans are just not going to score any points. Um, and so what is what is a functioning within the, the Pats' offense should be enough to get over the line in terms of this. But I can certainly see this being a game that's dropped by the Pats, given the, the way that they have played against kind of these levels of teams um, in this season so far. No, of course, Jets at the Chargers. They've all gone for Chargers across the board because even though the Chargers keep losing games, the Jets aren't a football team. So they will <laughs> lose. Yeah, I like they've got some nice pieces. Jets fans look be happy. You've got your left tackle. You've got Mims is looking good for you. You've got a few nice pieces. But yeah, this is just not a season to be a Jets fan. Don't watch the game. Miami at Denver. We've gone for Miami across the board. Yeah, two is fun. Two is playing well. They've just got a really good defense, a really impressive defense. And Denver are just kind of turning into a bad team at the moment, especially if they're missing Drew Locke in this, even though I know he's not been great either. But like, look, everything's stacked in Miami's favor. If they lose this, it'll be a major shock. Um, so I think give form, you have to go for Miami right now. Yep. Green Bay at Indianapolis. Me and Fitz are gone for Green Bay and Sean's gone for Indy. Look, there's some question marks on that defense in Green Bay and how they were playing, but they don't tend to do back-to-back games that are bad. And I just like their offense. I really, really still don't rate Indianapolis at all. At all, at all, at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I've just kind of gone off the Packers after a couple of games where they just don't seem to be performing. I think they can be got at, I think, if a team can, can ruffle them up a bit and Rodgers isn't given the time to build up a kind of a 21 nil lead early then they they do tend to kind of panic a bit or or, or get stifled a little bit so I, I can see the colts kind of making this a fight and the packers don't seem to be very good at spot at fights which is why i'm going to give them the edge they also the, the colts will have the momentum of their big win from from last week um which puts them on top of the division and, and they will kind of see this now as their opportunity um to, to make a stake for that division title so i, I can certainly see this as a game where both teams are going to want to fight for the win, but I just don't see the Packers having the fight uh, in them. Yeah, but I, I think Indianapolis are a bit of a soft team themselves. Like they don't, when they've tried to establish the run first game, like be a hard nosed team, which is what we kind of thought they would be with Jonathan Taylor. They've they've not been good at it, so they've just turned into the basically the Chargers from last year, but with a better defense. So I think if Indianapolis win this game, it'll be because their defense uh, continues to lock down a better offense in Green Bay. But I just I have a feeling that Aaron Rodgers. Um, given the, the kind of performance we saw there, we'll be looking to to, to fight and, and have a like a Tom Brady type week, I suppose, like this week. Um, and it'll be enough to get it done here. And maybe they might also mix in a bit of Aaron Jones there, kind of a bit of focus there. But yeah, just Indianapolis are just that they're solid all over. But they just I don't know if they have that hard nosed running ability that has been the major issue for Green Bay in in this season and previous seasons. Yeah. Next up, Dallas at Minnesota. We've all gone for Minnesota. Who's even the starting quarterback for Dallas this week? I think it'll be Dalton, but... Uh, we'll Is he back? Okay. The, yeah. So I did actually initially have the Cowboys pick for this, but then I remembered my new NFC East theory. And <laughs> <laughs> the sentiment. And also, the, the, 
Dallas are a decidedly sub-500 team, so the Vikings should have no problem whatsoever uh, in crushing them. I mean, if, if it is Dalton back, then this is probably his last chance to, to really do something to fight to fight for that starting position because I thought Gilbert was quite good when he played two weeks ago. So he might be in the back um, of everyone's mind in terms of coming back. But yeah, the, the, you know, the Vikings have just got a, too much about them, are on a nice run, so I think they should and be comfortable enough now that I've actually thought about who the Dallas Cowboys, Cowboys actually are this year. Next up is my pick of the week, Kansas City at Las Vegas Raiders, the one that I thought was Thursday Night Football. We've all got for Kansas City in this one, which, to be honest, I was close to not going for a Obviously, the Raiders beat us uh, three weeks ago, I think it was. Uh, it's the one loss in the season we've had. They played us very well, and they've been playing well. Since then, their offense is clicking very well, particularly their run game, and that's a weakness for Kansas City. Obviously, Kansas City is since... Had a couple of tough games, but has been playing very well. The offense is back out firing. Pat Mahomes is probably pushing into the lead, into the uh, MVP talks again at this point. And uh, yeah, like it should make for a very good game. Strength on strength kind of thing. Uh, the, the Vegas defense has been looking a lot better of late. I think that some of the top graded players from last week were in their secondary, so we'll see if they can kind of confuse the Chiefs' offense the way they did last time with their kind of rushing three and standing uh, stand stand post blockers or something like that to kind of break up passing lanes. So I, I, like, I think it should make for a very entertaining matchup, provided that the, that the tackles are actually in, because if the tackles are out, all bets are off on this one. But yeah, it should be, should be a fun one. My theory behind why I think the Chiefs are going to win this is I think the the loss the Chiefs suffered to the Raiders is going to hurt them, and I think the adjustments will be made. I think Andy Reid will be like, okay, we need to figure out how to beat this, especially since they could be a um, a competitive team in the playoffs against them as well. I, th- I think they will be targeting this as, as a kind mm-hmm. of a revenge win type scenario. And that would be enough to get them over the line. But as you say, if, if the Chiefs are suffering injuries in important places, then the, the Raiders are certainly solid enough to pull out a win. One of the big ones as well is obviously Andy Reid has an incredible record coming off a bye. So yeah, the one the one difference in this case is that because it's a later game, Vegas have a little bit of time to, to, to make it up. But yeah, uh, him off the bye is hard to pick against. Finally, Rams at Tampa Bay. This is your pick of the week, Sean. Yeah, so we've gone for Tampa Bay across the board, which I mean, I think it will be a close game. This is two good teams hovering around the four seed in the NFC looking, or the five seed in the NFC, because unfortunately we do have the NFC East, uh, looking, <laughs> to, looking to get into their kind of the top of their division, both trying to compete for that, those kind of high seeds. Both teams have had kind of disappointing losses throughout, but have, but have recently had kind of good wins. I think that the Bucks are at home. The Rams, I don't think, travel very well. I think it's Tom Brady in prime time, so we'll be up for it. I think this... This team, especially with as, as much as it annoys me to say it, especially with Brown in the offense, this team, this offense clicks quite well. I think Brady has his two security blankets in Gronkowski and and Brown, so he, he knows he, who he can throw to in, in emergency situations, and he has enough talent around him that that when the options are there, um, they will they will do some damage. The Rams have a good defense, so they will make it competitive. Uh, but I think ultimately maybe the books, the big difference here is the books defense is, I think, number one or, or definitely top five anyway. Um, and so the Jared Goff, I think, will have a, a very tough time um, of it. So I can see that the books getting a, a very important kind of seeding win uh, on Monday Night Football. Yeah, I think that's I, – I, I really don't know what to make of the Rams at this point because I've seen mm. them like play well at times. But also, like I said, like I think they've got a good kind of floor. I don't think their ceiling is that high. 
you know, it, it could be a game that will be surprisingly tough to watch. Like, I think both these defenses could make both the offensive showings quite ugly. We've seen games from both Jared Goff and Tom Brady where they've struggled significantly, and so it could be important for both teams to establish their run game. So I, I actually think whoever establishes a run game best in this game, whether that be Rojo and Fournette in Tampa Bay, or that be the Henderson, Akers, Brown system in the Rams, will probably take this game away. So even though this is a high you know, wattage matchup in terms of the stars and the names and all that, this could actually be a pretty old school type of game. Very much different from maybe that Kansas City Rams game we, we remember a few years ago. Yeah, kind of the opposite end of it. No, very good. And also just as a note for the listeners, after my absolutely atrocious picks last week, I have fallen a, a score behind. I think this is the first time in like two and a half years I've not been leading the picks. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you goaded me last week, Ronan. I have to try and make back some ground. <laughs> You're well, playing dirty now, you know. Play yeah. for all the marvels. No, of course. And uh, we, we, we have been getting in some nice questions from uh, you listeners. We've just been a little bit tight on time. So we're going to make space next week and make sure that we cover one or two of them so you can get them in. So is there any, any plans for the weekend with yourselves, lads? Uh, not so much. I, I have another birthday now. My, my fiance's birthday is on Friday. So I think we I might actually have to break a cake for that one. Oh, uh, wow. Course, uh, uh, Would you not just ask her to pop out and buy one? <laughs> and then you just watch her eat the cake. Right? <laughs> yeah. What about yourself, Ronan? Um, nah, not much. Uh, as I said, the, the big, big GA game. Uh, and then other than that, they're back to the more standard sport uh, offerings uh, this weekend. Uh, watching Ireland, the, the, the soccer team, uh, is just quite depressing right now. So I'm, oh, I'm ready to. I'm, I'm actually excited to watch Man United, which is uh, <laughs> not the most common thing these days. Excellent, yeah. No, I, I'm similar. I'm not a wild pile plant. Uh, yeah, should be good, should be good. Nice and relaxing and just try and get the tail end of my Christmas presents ordered, you know, yourself. But yeah, so for now, I suppose that's bye for myself. Bye from Roman. Bye. Bye from Chad. Uh, it's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week.